Welcome to the first ever episode of PFL following a Tennessee victory. 45 nothing over Chattanooga on Saturday. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you like the show, subscribe, first of all, so you can get these episodes delivered straight to whatever device you want to listen to. And uh, leave us a rating and review. It only helps, and you'll see more PFL episodes if you do that. Always helpful. Uh, bring in my co-host, of course, the uh, incomparable Joe Rexroad. Joe, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you did not get anything singed off with the fire at the Titans game today. Is that is that accurate? Did you survive that? <laughs> no, I mean, I actually, I wish I was a little closer to it. Maybe it would have burned out my cold that I apparently got from <laughs> you through the microphone doing the last podcast. But technology is an amazing thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that was a really, I mean, for about, you know, 10 seconds, I was like, is this place going up in flames? I mean, it was, <laughs> it was pretty intense and, you know, they got it, uh, they got it under control. And then of course the Titans lost. So just like with the Vol Navy, uh, mishap, you know, you could always, uh, tie those things to it, to the performance on the field. Of course. They're lucky that was further away from the, uh, from the, uh, stands. Cause that was like legitimately... Yeah. If you want to describe that as an inferno, I would not stand in your way. I would not stand in your way. Uh, Tennessee, well, I've, I mean, uh, I've been within, I'm sorry, I've been within like 20 yards of those things when they operate as they're supposed to, and it's yeah. so hot. I, I, I can't imagine what those people in the front few rows were feeling for a few seconds there. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, well, Joe, I wanted to kick us off talking about what I spent most of last week doing which was uh, chilling in, in Chattanooga, a little bit further down the, uh, the Tennessee River. Uh, a pretty interesting experience. Um, for those of you who uh, are not subscribers, didn't get a chance to read it, I basically spent most of last week uh, embedded with Chattanooga's coaching staff um, as they game planned for and watched film and prepared to face Tennessee uh, on Saturday. And it was really a fascinating process, uh, educational I feel like I learned more about Tennessee um, and, and sort of their uh, tendencies and how they operate and, and, and really how a staff puts together a game plan on a on a uh, just a nitty-gritty ground level. I learned as much in the last couple days as I probably did all last season covering Tennessee, and uh, it's just a very revealing uh, experience, um, to say the least. Uh, I think you, you sort of get a sense of, hey, okay, let's look at what – Tennessee does and if you're Chattanooga what they do and say hey what can we tailor to what we do um, to attack kind of where they are weak and um, the process of watching that all come together uh, and then refined and then as the coaches try to teach that to players who aren't always the you know easiest guys to to hold on to information and to retain that you have to keep drilling in some of the same things you get a a new respect I guess for the difficulties of, of teaching, you know, 18 to 22 year olds how to uh, uh, play college football. Uh, Joe, what did you, uh, you what did you find most notable um, about the, that story in particular? Well, first of all, I don't want to turn this into just a, you know, mutual admiration podcast. But I got to say, <laughs> David, uh, outstanding work while sick, by the way. And I know you were I mean, it was a, a, an exhausting week and I, I woke up you know, Sunday. And, uh, I was just, you know, I was like, man, he's already done with that thing. And, and, uh, 
it was really impressive and, and very revealing. I, I've been lucky enough to sit in on some film sessions with college coaches and, you know, there's just so much that you don't see. There are so many tiny little things of this guy has this tendency, you know, on in this situation. We can take care, advantage of this matchup, et cetera, et cetera. It's always fascinating. But I thought you really, um, you know, illuminated what it's like to prepare for a team. And I thought there were some really interesting things about Tennessee. For one thing, your initial assessment of the opener which was basically they treated it like a preseason game. I mean, I guess you could say that's obvious, but it was interesting to hear them say that too. Like, yeah, they pretty much just ran those guys out out there and, um, you know, trying to find combinations against a team, by the way, that I think just lost 57-10 to Western Michigan. Am I, am I right oh, on yes. that? Oh, yes, that was a name-your-number yes. game too. It was 57-10 after three quarters, and Western yeah. Michigan called off the dogs. Yeah, yeah. So, so I thought that there were some things in there kind of – illustrating how predictable Tennessee can be. And, of course, there was still some very, um, you know, uh, positive comments about about Tennessee's coaching staff. But you can see, I think for me, you can see here how, you know, you can have everything nailed down and figured out. And sometimes, you know, the other team just has players that you don't have. Jimmy's I think that's Joe's, some of what we saw. Yeah, Joe's, as they say. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But uh, but all in all, I mean, I, I hope everyone who follows Tennessee reads this story because it's really fascinating. And I, I would be really interested, David, to, to see what Tennessee's staff's reaction would be to this story. Because, you, you know, you don't see this every day. You don't often see this kind of access um, with the staff kind of willing to, you know, tell you exactly what they saw in an opponent. Yeah, it was uh, that was one thing I found interesting, and you know they were kind of asking about uh, you know what what it was like being around Tennessee and those kind of things, and I was like, I mean, I'm not around like this, like, not this like this. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's like I think they knew I wasn't sitting in meetings, but like uh, you know Lorenzo Ward has been in the SEC a long time, and he was like, "How's Tracy Rocker doing?" And I was like, Lorenzo, I could not tell you. It's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> I've talked to him with 25 other people uh, with you know, for like 10 minutes twice. Uh, so that's my extent of uh, talking with Tracy Rocker. So, and they were like, really? I was like, yeah, that's just kind of, you know, what that uh, experience is sort of like. Um, so that, you know, there was just a lot of, not not a lot of paranoia in that program. You know, I think Rusty Wright, their head coach, told me, I think, you know, two or three different times, you know, we're not hiding Russian secrets up here. It's just football. And I, I wish more folks around college football would have that attitude. Not that, uh, you know, we're expecting to get inside of coaching meetings, but the lack of paranoia and just like, hey, we're just coaching football here was refreshing uh, for a week, to say the least. And I think, you know, in terms of what they helped me learn about Tennessee as I sort of watched those things, um, you know, I don't think any of the tells or tendencies are, are earth-shattering, um, but I think you learn things about the team that you didn't know. I mean, certainly if you watched enough, uh, you know, you talk about the things that the, the coaches see on film. It's not a ton of complex stuff, um, but they're obviously looking for tendencies, and they notice things, small things, that if you know what you're looking for are not difficult to identify. I mean, for instance, you know, they're trying to pinpoint a matchup um, with Warren Burrell. They felt like they had a really good chance. They had some good receivers at Chattanooga. They got open a couple times. They had a bunch of drops, and they were frustrated with that. But but they noticed, hey, he's almost always on the side of the field 
where the coaching staff is so they can tell them what to do. And so if they wanted to exploit a matchup or have a route combination where they had a featured route, they would run it at the side of the field that Tennessee's coaches have because they knew that Warren Burrell was probably going to be lined up on that side. And it's stuff like that and and sort of, you know, that, that Tennessee, you know, runs the ball 83% of the time with uh, Garantano under center and two tight ends. And they're like, you know, if you see that, we're going to sell out to the run. Stop the run. Uh, and so uh, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, I – we don't even have time to go over it. And again, if you're not a subscriber, I would obviously uh, suggest you read. I think every Tennessee fan would be intrigued to see what some football coaches really think about Tennessee's team. There's some observations about players and who they liked, who they did not like in there. And uh, it was pretty interesting, um, to say the least. Joe, any any questions or things that you, that you read that piece and were left sort of uh, uh, burning or wondering about about Tennessee or, or that experience or their coaches opinions of Tennessee well that, I mean you brought up the Burrell thing that is that's something I've frankly never heard before I mean it makes sense but you know you think of corners you know some teams go boundary field you know some like to go left right but I've never heard the you know one guy is okay on the other side the other guy must be on our side you know thing on yeah. the corner I mean that's that's really interesting stuff but. Yeah, I don't think it was 100% of the time, but I was not, I always noticed, too, that, you know, they can sort of tell the base coverages. You know, you can't tell exact assignments, but the coaching staff, they did not find it difficult at all to tell who knows what they're doing. Like, I watched all of the Vanderbilt game last year with uh, Joe Pizzo, the OC, and he was looking at, at uh, just how much more they knew what they were doing because – Instead of having Henry To'oto'o and Will Ignat or Shannon Reed, two linebackers that are brand new that haven't really played a ton, you had Darren Kirkland and Daniel Batuli, two guys that have played a ton of football, uh, and and were very uh, in tune with what was going on. He's like, you can tell, you know, they know what they're doing, and, and they look at the BYU game, and they're like, you know, you can tell they're just looking at each other, kind of back and forth, and if there was any motion, I mean, that was one thing that, that the first couple games that uh, – Chattanooga really uh, noticed is that defensively one simple motion and you had basically a 50-50 shot of having a coverage bust um, because Tennessee would lose their sort of, uh, you know, not only just the coverage bust in the passing game, but guys not in the right gaps. Uh, just when you had to shift assignments, they weren't great at talking. And I thought that was extremely, extremely interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and you know, you can look, I mean, I think it's almost like how you want to look at things as a fan. I mean, you could look at some of the things in here and consider it damning about, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and what Tennessee is doing. But this is also, I think, big picture. You know, a lot of this stuff really is as deeply as these guys, everybody dives into this stuff on every staff every week. Um, You know, a lot of it is simple. And it really comes down to, you know, uh, execution. And I mean, there isn't a lot of fooling people that goes on. Mm-hmm. It's just football. I like to say that pretty often. I think <laughs> that's why in this game, this is one of the reasons why, you know, some coaching staffs are easier to deal with than others. And it's the ones that sort of treat this that, you know, they give football the, the, the proper respect that it deserves, which is, it's a game like this is supposed to be fun you know what i and i think it just everything gets so serious and so like you know war gamesy that it's just like okay like and so i appreciated this last week it's been interesting to see you know i think um 
you know, I, I think you you don't have to go too far into uh, the details to, to know where Tennessee's staff would fall on that on that line. Uh, but, you know, it's sort of uh, – the last week was refreshing, to say the least. And uh, as for Saturday's game – oh, and also, too, I realized on Saturday morning that's the first time I've watched a college football game outside of the press box since I was a college student in 2008. Wow. Which is a very different experience, to say the least. It's uh, – it was hotter for sure. <laughs> standing up for like five hours, I don't recommend that. But uh, just a very different experience, not only in seeing it, but you know, obviously at the end of games, I'm always down on the field for you know the last five to eight minutes of the game, so you get a sense of the difference in speed and the physicality that happens down there. But just the madness on the sideline and how much, like how much the preparation on the sideline is just getting the right personnel groups ready. Like two players. Uh-huh. I mean, if it's if it's thir- if, as soon as second down is over, they're yelling punt, 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 and you got the punt team. They've got to get lined up and get ready to go. And if they get a first down, obviously it sort of resets. But every third down, the punt team is saying they're ready. And how much of the energy on the sideline is built around um, having all that personnel ready? And Chattanooga's approach is interesting as well because. You know, you can't say, you can't tell your players, you know, oh, we don't have a chance to win this game. You got to stay positive and keep guys sort of invested. Um, that's an that's a weird balance, I felt like. I, you know, in talking to Chattanooga staff, they felt like if they played well, played mistake-free, uh, didn't, didn't give plays away, and got a subpar, maybe not high-effort performance from Tennessee, they felt like they could maybe hang around in the first half. Um Obviously, they made a bunch of mistakes, and they knew in the kicking game and in special teams they were going to have issues. The punt game, kickoff return, all those things came to fruition. And uh, but it was it was just interesting to sort of uh, beyond to see the program go into a game like that where you know Tennessee. You always say we're using this game as practice to learn about ourselves. Well, Chattanooga's doing the same thing because you know kind of how that game's going to work out, and they were just trying to run their stuff against better competition. It's it's really it was interesting from the other side. It really was. Well, and the thing is, David, you know, look if if a few of these things stack up against Georgia State in the opener, I would still contend that game could have ended up a lot like this. You know, mm-hmm. I agree. And a, a lot of these games are, and, and vice versa. You know, had some of the things Chattanooga had planned, you know, gone their way, and they've been able to muck it up and stay around and stay around. That's when the that's when the big favorite tenses up, and and all of a sudden there's a psychological edge there. And this could have been very different. I mean, that's that's the fascinating thing about this sport. Yeah, it is, and I think too, you know, Chattanooga, even though they're small guys, they didn't see this like like as like a Super Bowl or a gigantic game. It was a game they need to get better at. Um, but you heard it all week from the coach staff. We had more important games. They weren't going to show a ton of stuff. They played it pretty simple, too, um, because they, they've got more important games in conference coming. I mean, this game is uh, financially uh, obviously a big part of every FCS program. These buy games are um, really important for their entire athletic department. Um, and, and they want to play them and want to get better, but, I mean, they weren't showing very much of their offense either. And that was interesting. I think I'd never really yeah. thought about that before. No, I'd never thought of the, the big underdog going vanilla, you know? No, they did. <laughs> that's that sort of thing. just like we have more important stuff. We don't want to show kind of what we do. Um, what did you take away from the game? Not to completely dwell on a game that was competitive for, you know, about eight minutes, but what was your, your biggest takeaway from the Vols' performance? 
Well, look, I think, I guess my big takeaway is just like with BYU, you know, look, they're still playing, you know, they're still, they, they want this, they're, they're, they are together and, and playing with good effort still. And that's, you know, good to see. I mean, that's, that speaks well of, of, you know, what's going on behind closed doors, even though the first two, um, you know, weekends didn't go their way. Uh, so I, I liked the, that overall fact. I liked the fact that they got a shutout and there were several opportunities for Chattanooga to, to end that, but the Vols was at times a bit lucky, you know, were able to preserve it. And I think my other big takeaway is just the, the quarterback thing is really fascinating to me, David, because that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt used both backups and early, you know, in the game, I was like, wow, this maybe is a comment on, you know, not being totally happy with Garantano or pushing him in some way. But I almost feel like after hearing Jeremy Pruitt talk after the game, it was almost like, okay, everybody see this? Now, this is why we're sticking with Jared, okay? <laughs> you know? And it felt almost like, a, here, here you go. Okay, now they're going to back, go back to the sideline. He's our quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's just they needed to get those guys to play a college snap. It's crazy that they're two games in and they still haven't been able to. Um, I think the bringing Maurer in so early, you know, it's sort of interesting because you did have a pretty commanding lead at that point, but also it was still like the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh. Is it was this? early. It, yeah. In the moment, I remember watching, I was like, well, what is this exactly? And I think Jeremy Pruitt, again, sort of removed all doubt in the post-game press conference. But I think it, it hits on what we talked about last week, that things can get worse. Like, Garantano was not great in the first two weeks, but he was not just disastrous. Like, your your quarterback play can get worse, and he's an accurate passer. And uh, the other two guys, you know, had some balls in the dirt, had some balls sky, and Garantano doesn't do that a whole lot. Uh, and uh, I think people take that for granted a lot of the time. A lot. Of well, the time. and in defense of them, you know, you're going to have some jitters, right? Um, you know, I, I think you did see that Maurer can, can move, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. can see the kind of athlete he is. Shrout, you can see that he can throw the ball 180 miles an hour, yeah. if nothing else. But yeah, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, when you, I think sometimes fans forget, like, when you invest all these reps into a guy, there's going to be such a massive difference just in terms of recognizing things. When you get into a real game, real game situation, let's say at Florida, such a massive difference in the experience factor, being able to see things, call out protections, check into the right play, all those things. You can practice it, but it's game experience matters. And then all those reps that go to Garantano, they don't go to the other guys. And so you've got to have a pretty massive difference in ability and you know, just uh, um, a lot of things for a young guy to overcome that. You know, of course, if Garantano continues to, you know, struggle in other games, then maybe there's a discussion. But, you know, right now, I don't don't see why there's much of one. Yeah. I mean, I I think odd for him to take a a shot at the media. I don't think I saw a single media person claiming that Garantano needed to be benched last night. It was very much... Fans talking about it and calling in and sending it into my mailbag, and every media person I'm saying is saying, "No, nah, we've been around this program a long time, and they don't have another option." If there's a grad, like I said, you know, if there's a grad transfer, it's a different conversation, but uh, odd to say the least uh, from Jerry Pruitt. But it is what it is. What did you make defensively? Alante Taylor uh, does not start. 
the seldom used Juco transfer uh, slash uh, spring break proponent, Kenneth George, uh, showing up on the first team, Delonte Taylor, after last week, goes to the second team to start. He played plenty, but what did you make of that? Well, I guess, you know, it wasn't made clear enough to us that Alante Taylor was at fault for the BYU loss. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> clearly, there, you know, enough wasn't made of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, look, that's one of those things. Now you're speculating. I mean, did he not take it well or not respond well in practice? Or was this really like, let's continue to punish him for what happened at the end of that game? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I know some I coaches look no at it asked. differently. I wasn't in the Tennessee post-game press conference. Nobody asked about it. I was like, really? Like, <laughs> odd. Yeah. Odd, that's to say that, the least. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, but, I, but you know, clearly. I mean, they're going to need him. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, he's going to be a guy to watch here because you know, how do you respond uh, you know, over the long haul to something like that? I mean, that's a heck of a, you know, a combination of things and again not taking blame off taylor i mean he made a huge mistake and then he gave up another touchdown uh but he seems like a guy who's important and you want to keep engaged and you know get his confidence built back so i don't know if not starting him does that but again don't know everything that happened behind closed doors I will say, uh, I did not write about this in the story. I don't think uh, later this week I'm going to be writing about more uh, things I learned about Tennessee in, in uh, Chattanooga. But I did watch this play uh, with Chattanooga's staff multiple times. And let me tell you, there's some Elante Taylor trutherism that is that is surfaced. <laughs> and they were watching it and they were saying, if you look closely, Theo Jackson is up there and he's yelling at him to come up, to come up. And there might have been a miscue, miscommunication, but clearly, if you look at that, if you go back and look at that play, and I don't know, I'm pretty sure it would show up on the TV copy. We, first of all, watching film in All-22 is fantastic. Big fan yeah. of that. But uh, on the All-22 copy, you can see Theo Jackson. He's yelling and pointing and gesturing for him to come up, and he comes up. Now, situational football. Jackson did not physically pick him up and move him, but... I don't know that if people want to put this solely on Taylor, you know, if that is deserved. Because I think they're Chattanooga's staff watching it, obviously, you know, he just loses him, and that's a problem. Because they were talking about he bit. Like, their staff believes he bit on, like, a 15-yard. He thought it was like a, a deep out was coming, which wouldn't really make sense yeah. situationally. But, you, but, you, but that, to me, that's, again, like, you don't bite if you – know what you're supposed to be in exactly because you know you don't care if they complete that and that's yeah, how you Brew should was be pretty you know, clear. thinking anyway third. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i mean no i think the idea of some kind of a communication miscue there is very viable so maybe we'll get it pieced together by november yeah what is uh we're in florida week now full-blown florida week what's the biggest question you have going into uh tennessee's trip to the swamp yeah the biggest thing i'm looking at here is you know tennessee's defense can they can they be stout enough against the run? Can they be solid enough to put Florida in third and long on a regular basis in this game? Because, you know, Kyle Trask did a really good job at Kentucky in relief, getting that comeback win. For anyone who doesn't know, awful injury to Felipe Franks. He's done. It was hard to watch. It's terrible. Um, and Kyle Trask, a guy who some people thought, you know, could push Franks, 
now is the guy, and he looked good. I mean, he, he, he really looked poised out there, I thought. I thought there were a few times where he just kind of hung in there and made a simple throw, but it took going through progressions. I mean, you know, that was an encouraging performance. But still, you're talking about a new quarterback who hasn't been through all the stuff Franks has been through. And so if you're Tennessee's defense, you want that opportunity to try to confuse him and send pressure in different areas and, you know, get him to make some mistakes. But you have to stop the run first to get there. And if you're just going to get gashed and then get hit downfield on play action after getting gashed, you know, then it's just it's going to be a long day. That Tennessee defensive front, and I, by the way, I really thought Daniel Batuli made a difference. You know, just you can see how quickly he diagnoses and moves around the field. You know, that defensive front to me is a huge key in this game. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think. On the other side of the on the other side of the ball, can they protect Garantano? I think we've only seen him take one of those sort of brutal kill shots that he was taking over and over again last year. But Florida was the one that was keying it up, and I forget the Florida player, but he said that Garantano was the one quarterback he's played before that he kind of felt sorry for, um, and that was sort of the beginning of him, you know, uh, having just a, a whole bunch of injuries uh, last season and. Uh, when you get into uh, inevitably Tennessee's going to be in passing situations and this is where Florida really excels they've got you know they rush the passer as well as any team in the country really strong defensive line and I'm very curious what Tennessee does on the offensive line because they're still unsettled especially on the right side whatever that mix is of Marcus Tatum or Darnell Wright uh, or Karon Calvert or, you know, you get Ryan Johnson in there. Whatever that ends up being, because it's been a whole bunch of different guys, you know, can those guys hold up in the passing situations? When you know the pass rush is coming, when the blitz packages are coming, can you communicate? Can you not have free rushers running at Garantown? Because if that happens, you're, you're, you're going to have turnovers. I think for every three times a, a, a free rusher is coming unblocked at Jared Garantano, would you would you say it's fair to say that every three or four times that happens, that's going to equal one turnover? Whether that's a pick under pressure, whether that's a blindside shot, sack, fumble, you feel like that ratio is probably about right. I I trust your math over mine <laughs> on just about anything. Uh, yeah, it sounds that sounds reasonable to me. No, and I agree. I mean, it's it's that's a huge part of this game, and and you know again, it's balance and you know a big part of keeping that rush away is getting those two running backs going and making Florida react to that and making Florida, you know, have pause before they just tee off on Garantano. So, you know, on both sides, it's, you know, it's kind of boring when you get into a lot of these games. It really is like, can you run the football? Can you stop the run? Um, But I think that is a case here. and, And certainly when they're in obvious passing situations, you know, that offensive line really has to hold up for Garantano. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. Saturday's is going to be interesting. You know, Florida, listen, I thought Florida was overrated all offseason. Florida is not one of the 10 best teams in the country. They just are not. No. Uh, and I I get the history between Tennessee and Florida. I don't know how much those kinds of things are relevant. I think it depends on the group. But I think when you have a new coaching staff, that can help. But obviously their history against Florida is not fantastic. But I just I don't believe in the swamp voodoo. But Tennessee's got a big opportunity 
um, this week. Tennessee can win this game. They can. I still I thought that in the in the off season. I still think that post Georgia State, post BYU, if Tennessee plays a strong game, they don't have to be perfect. They got to play strong. Don't lose the turnover battle. Uh, winning it would certainly help. Florida, I think again an overrated team, down a starting quarterback. Tennessee has the ability. But again, the line of scrimmage is going to be a struggle. Can Tennessee win either side of the ball? And can you win a game if you don't? I'm not sure about that. But we still don't know yet um, on those groups. I think especially the offensive line. I think they're getting better, and they have been really improved. Um, And that's that you win, and mathematically, you can start maybe sniffing back around for a bowl game. That's probably still a stretch, admittedly. But it's not impossible at two and two. Um, but you're, it's not, you know, you're not probably staring at three and nine like you, like you were if you lose that game. Um, so, am I crazy, Joe, for thinking Tennessee has a shot in this game? I want to say you are. I mean, I, okay. I think I should, but <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think you're crazy. I really don't. I agree. I think Florida is massively overrated. Like you said, and the new new quarterback again, great job in a pinch, but you know this is this is different now. It's a different kind of pressure starting this game. You know, psychologically, think back to last year. There was so much anticipation for this, this game at Neyland Stadium, Tennessee at home, and it looked to me, I think to most people, like that's pretty fairly even matchup. This should be a good game. And Tennessee probably made every mistake you could make in that game, and it got way out of hand, and they were blown off the field. But it really it was so much about just, you know, just terrible miscues all over the place. And, you know, think of the, the psychology this year is so different. I think very few people are going to give Tennessee a legit chance in this game. And there is a little bit, I think, of freedom. And this is the first time Tennessee can feel this way going into a game of like, okay, no one thinks we can do anything here. Let, let's prove it. So I, I like that. From the Tennessee perspective, and I agree with you. I think you know the offensive line. That's where I've thought all along. Like it could grow into something good, something you know at least pretty good. And I, I don't know defensively. You know that it just that just may not be there for them. It may have to be smoke and mirrors against every decent offense they see in the SEC. But I think that they can move Florida around and 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 get those running backs loose in this game. And of course, it's going to have to be. A well-devised plan by Jim Chaney, and Garantano's going to have to be really sharp. But no, you're not crazy. They, they can win this game. All right. Well, they did win, I think it was either 16 or 19 playing underdogs at, at Auburn uh, last season. So this is only, what, 14 and a half? I don't expect this to be that high scoring of a game. Uh, maybe maybe Tennessee's defensive line will disagree with me on Saturday. <laughs> but we will see. Huh. Uh, we will see. Joe, I don't have any uh, good food stories for this week. Do you have any? to send us out on any meals that yeah are- we've really been you know ever, ever since that georgia state loss that kind of threw us off our food schedule yeah you know? well, i mean i mean know, i've been eating don't get me wrong <laughs> that's that's good congratulations <laughs> i will tell you I, I will um my son's uh 12th birthday we went to oziki which is a new place here in nolensville uh and it's uh kabachi you know japanese steakhouse really really good so that's the best meal i've had recently and uh yeah, we were very happy with that. And, of course, you know, all the fun stuff for the kids and, you know, popping the rice into, the, into their mouth and all that stuff. So, 
I will say, actually, now that I said this, I did lie. I forgot about this. So I went down to Chattanooga. Uh, I was there all Monday, came back to Tennessee for a little bit uh, for, for Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Wednesday evening I went down there, and I was pretty sick, not feeling great. Um, but fortunately, my hotel was right next to uh, Jay Alexander's, which I think is a smaller chain. Is it not? Something, I, I don't know the history yeah. of Jay Something like that. But they had, I was in there, and I was just like, I'm going to grab, like, a steak and go to sleep. But they had this, like, special dry-aged ribeye with, like, a Worcestershire marinade of some kind. Listen, that that made me feel better briefly. I went to bed at, <laughs> I think I went to sleep at 9, maybe it was 8.45 on Wednesday night. And then I woke up at 6 a.m. to go, or maybe it was like, I think I woke up at 5.30 to go into the coach's office because they, they do all their stuff super early in the morning. I don't think that's what we usually, you know, I'm I'm not anti-chain, but like, you know, a good chain I can I can respect and listen. Props to Jay Alexander's. That was a delicious steak. I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, I, I'm not big on chains. But sometimes you got to give credit where it's due. It was next so. door to my hotel, and I saw the lights, and I was like, it's calling to me. It's calling to me. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Well, for Joe Rexroad, I am David Ubbin. That will do it for uh, this week's free episode of PFL. Again, subscribe. You can have that delivered straight to your vi- device. Rate, uh, review us. Appreciate you guys listening. It's been cool to see uh, the response to the show and uh, and, and to, to give you guys a taste of what we do at The Athletic. We're always uh, hoping you folks can come aboard and, and subscribe if you are not already. Subscribers, of course, you can find this episode and our midweek subscribers-only episode in The Athletic app if you prefer to listen that way. Um, so again, we will see you all again next week. And for subscribers... Take a listener later this week. I'll have Andy Staples, former Florida offensive lineman. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now he has landed on his feet with the athletic and our national writer. He will join me to talk Florida, Tennessee this week. So come back uh, and listen to that for subscribers. But if you're not, we will see you all again next week on the other side of the swamp. Thanks for listening. Hey there, listeners. We are excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery have just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead, and we know you're going to love it. Uh, The Lead's the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown, and with the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers across the globe, literally now, and our editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto, will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead, so subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. So check out theathletic.com backslash the lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players, 
a guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.